Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. In the preface to his book, The Screwtape Letters, theologian C.S. Lewis said, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. I think that's a really interesting um, statement that that, uh, as far as the devil is concerned, he wins if we either take him too seriously or not seriously enough. And uh, another theologian, perhaps of similar caliber, I don't know, but uh, Michael W. Smith said, um, why are you laughing? Oh, okay. Uh, Michael W. Smith says that if you are a Christ follower, the evil one is after you. When you signed on for Christ, you enlisted in a great war. You became a combatant in a titanic battle for spiritual dominion that's been going on since before Adam and Eve. Um, the enemy has marked you for annihilation and his demonic armies are aiming their, their big guns right at your heart. And I think both of those statements are true. Um, every temptation that we face is a battle for your heart and your mind. It's a battle for your allegiance to God. Do you know how you're tempted? Do you know, do you know the specific unique things that tempt you? Do you know how temptation works? Because if, if you don't, uh, rest assured, the devil does. He absolutely does know how temptation works. He wants you to think that, that God can't provide for you or that God won't provide for you. The, the enemy wants you to believe that God can't protect you or that he won't protect you when you're in danger. And the, the enemy wants you to believe that God's kingdom isn't worth waiting for. And those are the temptations that he comes at Jesus with, and he's going to come at, this, at us with the very same ones. And it seems to me that the start of a new year is a great opportunity for us to just set aside a few weeks and reflect on how temptation works. And so that's why we're beginning this series called Tempted, How Jesus Delivers Us from Evil. We're spending just three weeks uh, reflecting on these three temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness. We're going to see what he did there, how he responded there, and we're going to take these sort of lessons and just apply them to our own lives in our own moments of temptation. And this morning we begin with the first temptation that Jesus faced, which was about taking these stones and turning them into bread. Uh, and and uh, there's a number of questions that I think that this passage uh, answers for us. But I just want to focus this morning on the first four verses uh, and let it try to answer some of some of these questions we've got. Right. So so by the end of our time together this morning, we won't have seen everything that the passage teaches about temptation. But we want to get the study started. And where we what I what I hope we end up with is a sense of what choice have we got when we're tempted? Like what choices have we actually got in the moment of temptation. I think a good place for us to start is the question of when does temptation happen? Like when does it happen? So the verse the, the passage begins with it with saying Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. I think it's important because because you might think that temptation happens when you're being disobedient. Or where you're, when you're, you know, sort of venturing into a place where it doesn't, God doesn't want you to be. Or maybe you're not doing well spiritually. That's when you're going to be tempted most. And, and that's not what this passage seems to suggest. Because Jesus wasn't 
being disobedient. He wasn't in the wrong place at the wrong time. Jesus is actually at the very beginning of his ministry. He hasn't, he's not really on anybody's radar yet. He's just been baptized, and, and we'll, we'll talk next week about what, what that signifies. But this, this moment of temptation happens while Jesus is obeying the Spirit's leading. Like he's been led to the place, uh, uh, he's been led by the Spirit into this place where now he finds himself tempted. And I think that's an important thing for us to observe because we are constantly tempted. And, it's, it's, and, and most of the time, I think it's going to be in the, in the times and in the places where we are where God wants us. Not where we're disobedient, but it's going to be where we're doing the right thing. You know, you're going to be tempted before word and table is even done this morning. You're going to be tempted before you're even before we're even finished this sermon. You'll be tempted. Okay, think about it. Like, like it's it's sermon time. So think of all the time. Think of all the things you could be doing with this with this the, these minutes. Right? You could make a grocery list. You could uh, you while you're sitting here. You, maybe you want to just take a break and go off and get the laundry started or get lunch going or something like that. Or maybe you want to just pull out your phone and check your email or check Facebook or check your sports scores or something like that. You'll be tempted before this sermon is even done. And you're in the place God wants you to be right now. Uh, you're not far from God. It's, it's not, it's not, um, so like if, if we were, if we were far from God, if we were being disobedient and rebellious right now, the enemy wouldn't need to focus that much effort uh, on us. That's, he, he's, he's smarter and he's more strategic than that. So, so I just want you to know here, temptation doesn't mean that uh, you're a bad Christian. If you're facing temptation, it's, a, it's, it's likely that you're actually in the place God wants you to be and the enemy wants to take advantage of that moment. So that's, that's when temptation happens. Another question we want to wrestle with together is who is the tempter? Okay, who is the tempter? The verse here says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. To be tempted by the devil. That seems really simple, but it's kind of not, actually. I want to say a word to the kids. So, so boys and girls, if you're listening right now, um, the devil is real. And you've probably spent some time in your life thinking about the devil, or maybe mom and dad have, have talked to you about who the devil is and, and how he works. And when you think about the devil, you might have some scary pictures and images that come to mind, right? Like, you may have seen pictures of, of the devil where he was painted and he has horns, or he's got a pointy tail, or he's got big scary kind of bat wings. And, and what the devil doesn't want you to know is that he is a deceiver. And he lies and he plays tricks on us. And the devil wouldn't be a very good deceiver if we could always tell when it's him, right? Like if it was always obvious that it's the devil when he's coming at us, he wouldn't be a very good deceiver. And so we don't need to be afraid of those images of, of you know, scary bat creatures with horns and, and pointy tails and stuff. In fact, here are some of the things that scripture tells us about the devil. Okay, It, it tells us that the devil, that Satan, uh, masquerades as an angel of light. Like he wears a disguise of, the, of an angel of light. He looks better than he actually is. Jesus' friend Peter says that the, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then Jesus' little brother James, he said, he tells us, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. That's a really cool promise, right? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
Now, if you're kind of if you're tracking with me, you might be thinking, all right, didn't we just say that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness? And so if the Spirit led him there, is it the devil who does the tempting or is it God? Like, how does this work? That's a really good question. And whether you're young or old, you're going to wrestle with that question probably the 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 your entire life long, just how this works, how temptation works. And, and I think it's helpful to reflect on the difference between being tested and being tempted. Okay? God does not tempt anyone. In fact, that same, same uh, James, he says, um, James says that nobody should say, God is tempting me. Nobody should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Um, okay, so, so God doesn't tempt us, but God does test his people. He does allow us to be tested, okay? And those are very different things. God tested Abraham, if you remember. God tested Job. He tested Israel. Uh, the, the Son of God was tested here in the wilderness, and, and we will be tested too, okay? T- uh, testing is, is how we are taught. Testing shapes us, Okay? You could think of lots of examples of how we are tested. We could take a lot of time, actually, to, to, to think about this. But suffering is, a, is an example of a test. Poverty is, is one of the ways we're tested. Wealth might be how we're tested, though. Maybe uh, fame is a, is a form of, of testing or, or success or beauty. or There's all kinds of tests. But tests are where God trains us to put our trust into him and less in less in ourselves or in the devil or in the world. And testing is for our good. But temptation is not from God. Temptation is from the devil. And, and the devil has had thousands of years to, to, uh, to practice tempting people. He knows what we want. He knows what we like. He knows what we love. He knows what stresses us out. He knows what depresses us. He knows what we're anxious about and what we're afraid of. And he knows us so well. And he is the one who comes at Jesus to tempt him in the wilderness. That is the tempter. And it's really important that we know that. Next question, how does temptation work? How does temptation work? So the passage goes on and says here in verses 2 and 3 that after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. So the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Tell these stones to become bread. Now, is bread bad? No, it's not. Is it wrong to eat? No, it's not wrong to eat. But the way that the devil comes at Jesus, the way that he tempts Jesus here, is he, he um, is exactly the same way he's going to tempt you. Okay, He's going to offer a way to fix a problem in such a way that you don't come, to come out of it and say, Wow, thank you, Lord. You came through for me just like you promised. But, if, but the devil wants you to come through it and go like, Man, why didn't I just do that sooner? Why didn't, I, why didn't I think of that sooner? The devil's going to use your appetites against you. He's going to use your, your loneliness, your fear, your tiredness, even your hunger. He's going to use it against you. And so to Jesus, he, he tempts him and he says, Hey, you're the son of God, aren't you? You deserve this. Go ahead, feed yourself like you're the son of God. Why don't you act like it? Why should you starve? And, and that's not a unique that's not a unique approach. He's going to do the exact same thing 
to you if he ha- hasn't already. You, you've heard the temptations before. You, I don't know how you're tempted in your life, but, but you do. And, and you may have heard the voice, that similar voice, tempting you and saying, hey, what are you waiting for? Like it's right there. And there's only so much bread in the world. And if you don't take it, if you don't take your, your share, somebody else will. You, maybe you've heard that. Or, but maybe it's, hey, there's lots of bread to go around. And if you just, if you take this part, this, if you take this bread, nobody's going to care. You deserve it. Go ahead, take it, make the, make the stones into bread. Uh, but, but maybe it's, hey, everybody else is doing it. Maybe it's, hey, God doesn't make mistakes. If you want the bread, he must have put that desire in you. You go ahead and help yourself. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've heard that voice tempting you and saying, hey, God wants you to be happy. Maybe you've heard the voice saying, God doesn't want you to be happy and it's up to you to find happiness for yourself. Or maybe that voice has said to you, hey, you just do it. You do you. God will forgive you. And I want you to think though for a minute. If you really believed those things, if you really believed that those things were true, what wouldn't you do? What wouldn't you be willing to do when you're tempted, if you believe that those things are true, in order to get the thing that you feel entitled to? Like suppose the, suppose the temptation lasts for a while, maybe not, maybe not 40 days, maybe, maybe it's 20 days. Maybe the temptation lasts 10 days or, or maybe just four days. Think about like after four days of hunger and you're tempted, what wouldn't you be willing to do for food after four days? Like, could you be, could, could you bend the rules a little bit? Could, like, could you lie? Could you steal bread if it was right in front of you after four days? Could you justify doing these things? Of course, of course you did. And, and, and if the temptation lasted long enough, longer than four days, if the temptation lasts on and on, couldn't you justify eventually, some, at, at some point, couldn't you even become a bully? Could you become a liar and a cheater? Could you steal? Could you even, could you even kill? Yeah, like, of course we could. I could. Um, and, and the thing is, when you get the thing that the devil has promised you, you're going to feel that you've won. Right? You've, you've, you'll, you're going to feel that you've won, but you've, you've actually lost. You've got the thing that the devil promised you in, the, in that moment, but you've actually lost the test. You've failed the test. Now, I don't, I don't know if you remember what it's like to face a real test. But I was tr- thinking of different examples of, of tests in our lives in order to make the point. Here's what I came up with. You remember what the, like some of you might remember what the driver's examination was like, eh? How many of you have taken a driver's exam in the last few years? It's a stressful thing, right? It's a stressful test. I actually, I first went for my driver's license when I was 16 years old, like a lot of you. And at, at that point, there were two tests. There was a written test. And if you pass that, you can take a, the driver's test two months later. The law changed shortly after, and it's a, it's different now. Now we have graduated licensing, where you so you pass a written test, and then uh, a year later you have a, a road test for your G one, and then another year later you have you can write your you can do your second driver's test, your your G two, and you graduate and you've got your your full G license. And so if you pass all of those steps and without failing, then you've proven that you deserve a license to drive a vehicle in the province of Ontario, right? So fun fact, I failed my driver's test uh, a lot, actually. I failed the written test once, 
all right? And I failed my driver's test three times. I passed my, I'm telling you the truth. I passed my driver's test three times before I finally passed it on the fourth. It took me six years to get my driver's, my driving license, all right? And so as time went on, I became more and more discouraged, more depressed about it, more and more ready to give up, and more and more likely to take shortcuts. So I want you to imagine if my driver's exam, if my examiner offered me a shortcut. Suppose it's that last time I'm taking my driver's test and the driver's examiner, like the examiner, he says to me, hey, you want your license, don't you? So if you're a good driver, if you're such a good driver, why don't you go ahead and show me how to change a tire? We'll skip the test. And if you can show me how to change a tire, I'll give you your driver's license. So like if that were me, if, if you were me, that would be pretty tempting, right? I'm actually not sure I knew how to change a tire in those days either. But, or you can imagine if, um, imagine if in that, that last road test, the examiner came at me and said, you know what? It's, I've been super busy. I am way behind on driver's exams today. Let's say you and I just, why don't you just drive me over to the parking lot around the corner where nobody else can see. We'll sit there for a minute or two. Let's come back a couple minutes later. I'll just check it off and I'll say that you passed the driver's test. That would be super tempting, right? And that's how temptation works. That's how temptation works. Temptation is how the devil interrupts God's good test in order to offer us an easier way to pass. Okay, it's how he, the devil interrupts God's good test in order to offer us an easier way to pass. And I need to offer an important distinction then between um, this kind of test, this driver's test, and Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. I think an important distinction to make is that my examiner has every right to give out licenses. The devil doesn't. The devil has no right to declare you a son of God or a daughter of God. He has no right to declare Jesus a son of God. He has no uh, zero authority to, to approve you and I as sons and daughters of God, although he will try. That's how temptation works. He's putting himself in the place of God. He's interrupting and, and co-opting the test. And he's promising you something that he can't deliver. That's how temptation works. And if you know that, if you get that, then you stand a much better chance of responding to temptation the way that Jesus did. So let's just, let's now just uh, look at what Jesus did. Look at his response and see what choices we've got. Because in verse four, uh, Jesus answers, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think that that's a really fascinating response for Jesus to offer because if you think about it, he had a lot of options besides quoting scripture, eh? Like, like in Christian theology, we believe that Jesus was, this, was fully God and fully human at the same time. And if he had wanted to, Jesus could have gone like full Thanos and snapped his finger and, and the devil ceases to exist. He could have. And he could have done a whole bunch of different options. And what Jesus does in that moment is he recalls a promise of God. Uh, this one in particular comes from the Old Testament back in the book of Deuteronomy in a, in a time when Israel is, is, ha, has just come through a test in a similar way to Jesus. And, and the full quote here is from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Um, I want to just focus on verse 3. 
Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Um, God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I just think that's so helpful. Think about it. When, when Israel is tested in the wilderness, they're hungry too, right? And, and certainly they're tempted to have that appetite met in all kinds of different ways. They could have taken matters into their own hands. They could have invaded other cities and stolen their bread, right? Instead, God provided bread for them in his time, in his way, so that they will trust him. And in the same way, Jesus is going, yeah, I'm hungry. Of course, it would feel good to to have bread right now. But you know what I need right now more than bread? I need to trust my father to keep his promise. And when you and I are tempted, we've got a choice to make. We have a choice of whose promises we're going to trust in that moment. Because we're either going to trust God's promises or we're going to trust the devil's promises. And it's going to be one or the other, but not both. Because all of the devil's promises are lies. And he can't back them up. But God's promises are sure. Think about it. Only God has the authority to make us any promises at all. Um, only, and only God has the power to keep the promises that he makes us. And, and only our loving God, our loving Heavenly Father, only he can be trusted to make promises that are ultimately for our good. And, and that's why, that's why Jesus, he's able to respond to this temptation and go, no, no, like I'm not going to fill up on easy bread. I'm not going to take the shortcut and cheat in order to, to have bread here. Instead, I'm going to say yes to finishing my fast. And, and, and you might think, so yeah, that's how Jesus finished his test there. That's how, that's how he responded to that temptation. Uh, of course he did. He's the son of God, but I'm just me. You know, I'm, I'm little old me. What am I supposed to do in the moment that I'm tempted? How am I supposed to follow his example and, and fight temptation? It, because I'm not the son of God. How do, how do I follow that example? And, and you need to know, we don't. We don't. We don't, fall, we don't respond to temptation by following the example of Jesus. Okay? Christianity doesn't say, Jesus died for you. Uh, and so remember that. You keep that in mind. And when you're tempted, uh, don't screw it up. Don't waste it. You just, you think about Jesus when you're tempted and you just try hard to do what he did. That is not Christianity. I want you to listen to this quote from Tim Keller. Tim Keller says that when you begin to treat Jesus more as an example than as a savior, when you fail to see that he's your substitute, you forget that if you receive him, you are a son of God, you are a son or daughter of God today. You're a son, of, son or daughter of God today. Friends, I want you to know Christianity says, in, from, here's a quote from Hebrews 2, that because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those of you who are being tempted. He's able to help you because he was tempted himself. Hebrews 4 says, um, we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So he can empathize with you as you're going through temptation because he went through all of the same temptations that you did. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace 
with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And I just think that is so helpful to have in mind as you're tempted. It's not going to help if Jesus is just your example to follow. It's going to help to know that Jesus is your savior, that Jesus is your priest. Okay, these verses say Jesus is qualified to be your priest because he passed through all the same tests that you and I uh, must. And he went through them without sin. He never sinned. And because of that, because he passed these tests, he is able to uh, go before God. And when we're tempted and we call out to God and we say, God, can I have a little help here? This because this is hard. I'm being tempted. Can I have a little help here? Then Jesus, our priest, can say, hey, I know exactly what that's like. Trust me, I know exactly what that's like. I got a lot of mercy for you. Like, I can empathize. I got a lot of hope for you. I got a lot of grace for you. As he's our priest. Now, you might not have a lot of sort of exposure to priests, but I want you to, you know, I want you to think, uh, in order to sort of illustrate what a priest is, think about the driver's test again, okay? The difference between the examiner and a priest is the expert is the, uh, sorry, the examiner is an expert who judges our performance, but a priest is an expert who takes the test for you and says, you passed. The priest gets into the driver's seat, puts his seatbelt on, he drives the test perfectly, he succeeds, gets his driver's license, but then he pulls out his Sharpie, he scratches out his name, and he writes in yours. And that's what Jesus did for us. On the cross, that's what Jesus did for us. He took our place and he was our substitute. That's what a priest is. See, when you, when you take your driver's test in this example, when you take your driver's test, your status as a good driver is on the line. If you're a Christian who's being tempted, your status as a child of God is not. Let me say that again. When you take your driver's test, your status as a good driver is on the line. But if you're a Christian being tempted, your status as a child of God is not. It's not on the line. The test is not, hey, can I prove that I deserve a place in God's family? Can I prove myself? The test is, no, 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 no. Now that you are in God's family, now that you are a son or daughter of God, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? What goodness will you bring? What, what flourishing will you, will you create around you? What, what holiness and what love and joy and peace and patience will you, will you create? And, and, and I know that some of you might hear this, or some people hearing this, this message or, and reflecting on Christianity, maybe for the first time, might hear this and they might think, well, sweet, doesn't matter then how I respond to temptation because, um, you know, uh, God's going to forgive me no matter how I, how I go through it. Um, and that is not what I'm saying. Like nobody who understands what Jesus went through on the cross, nobody who understands what the cross was for, no one who loves the Savior would ever say that. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is very different. I'm saying that, I'm saying that if, you, if you fail the test three times and you pass it on your fourth time, you are no less a son or a daughter of God than the person who passed it the very first time. Let me say that again. If you take the test, if you, if you fail the test three times and you pass it on the fourth, you are no less 
a child of God than the person who passed with flying colors the very, very first time. That is good, good news. And so you and I have the same choice that Jesus had. When we're tempted to take these stones and turn it into bread or turn it into a, 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 a person who maybe sympathizes better with us in a, in a, in a different marriage relationship or, 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 or when, we're t- when we're tempted by whatever it is that we're tempted by, we can say, I don't need that thing more than I need to trust God. I don't need bread more than I need to trust God. It is not worth sinning for. It is not worth taking this shortcut for. It is not worth turning my back on God to, in order to have. And as we start 2021, I, I don't know what it is that tempts you. I don't know what temptation looks like in your life. I know what it looks like in mine. And I, if, if, if we can just, ref, as we reflect on how temptation works, we will be in a good place if we can go, if we can just reflect and go like, what is it when I'm, when I'm being tempted? What am I being offered? What, what is he offering you? What is he promising you? What is the good need that the devil is turning against you? What is, the, what is the problem that the devil is trying to get you to solve apart from God, apart from trusting God? Because, you know, you actually have a choice in what happens next. You don't have to do what he says. You, you have nothing to prove to the devil, and he has actually no power over you. The devil has no power over you. And, and so what if you knew that? Like, what if deep down in your bones, you knew that you are already loved and accepted by God and that no matter what, he is going to take care of you? I think, I think that that would influence the choices that you make. I mean, what if in the moment of temptation, you, your answer to the tempter was, yeah, you know, um, I know what you're doing, devil. I know, I know what you're doing, and I know how this goes. I know if I listen to you, if I believe your promises, I know how this ends. But it is written, no temptation has overtaken me except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. But when I'm tempted, he will also provide me a way out so that I can endure it. So that I can endure it. And so I can endure this. And you can. We can endure temptation. In Christ, we can endure temptation. That's, a re- that's really good news for us as we begin uh, 2021. Let's just pray together. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven. Thank you.